she hands me an article. I'm 13 about artificial insemination. And it's, you know, a fairly short article and I read it and I <laughs> look at her after I'm finished and she said, so what do you think? And I was like, uh, super interesting, mom. I don't know. This is really random. And she went on to explain to me for the first time, three years after my dad died, that that is what she did. And then my dad was not my biological father and that we had been conceived via sperm donor. Hello, everyone. It's Monday, April 24th, and shit is wild out there. Welcome to season one, episode five of Luke, Who Is Your Father? A podcast about mystery, scandal, and triumph of the familial variety. This season, we're telling you about being triplets separated at birth, the trials and tribulations of growing up separately, coming together, and the hunt for our biological father. You can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Luke, Who Is Your Father? on YouTube, Follow us on TikTok at Luke, who is your father pod, at Ricky Jump, and at Jules, who is your father. And follow us on Instagram at Luke, who is your father, at Ricky Jump, and at Kenny K23. We are so appreciative of your support up to this point, And we would love, 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 love if you could take 10 seconds to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend or family member or anyone who you think would enjoy or it would really help to hear. And more importantly, somehow we're at the midpoint of this season. We've made it. (laughs) (laughs) And we're ready to turn the mic over to you all for the show in its next iteration. So we've already received so much interest and so many crazy stories. So we're set up for success for the first few, but we do always need more. So please email us at lukewhoisyourfatherpod at gmail.com or more preferably at Ricky at LukeWhoIsYourFather.com. Uh, we want to hear your stories about family strife, separation, DNA discoveries, or just about your daddy issues. Who are they? Literally, figuratively, or really anything else that you would think would be a good fit. And we also have failed to mention it up to this point, but we have a whole ass website that Kendall built. It's beautiful. Gorgeous. <laughs> you can go read bios, any mentions that we've had in the press, uh, and see all of the platforms that we're streaming on, the full episode list. And most importantly, you can submit your stories there as well, which would be great. So you can check that out at www.lukewhoisyourfather.com. I'm your host, Ricky. This is Jules. I'm Kenny. And if you're new here, we are triplets separated at birth and have spent our lives since meeting at 11, exploring what it means to be sisters and on the hunt for our biological father, which is what this season is building up to. And last week, we kind of delved into Julian and Kendall's idyllic childhood. And uh, that did ultimately end in, in my father passing away. So if you haven't listened, we recommend going back and just binging that shit from episode one. <laughs> and before we get into the crazy question of the day, I've been asking you all for your scandalous stories on Instagram and TikTok. And just want to shout out a couple of people who responded. So we did talk about uh, what's the craziest thing you've ever done for a man, which by the way, was very 
heteronormative of me to ask. But I feel like men are the only people that require crazy things to be done for them. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to clear that up. Um, Kelly Teamer says she learned a fucking musical instrument and took lessons from his dad so she could see him more. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's awesome. I want to know what instrument. The guitar. The guitar. Okay, cool. And she plays it very well today. So that has worked out in her favor as these things sometimes do. And then for the what's the craziest moment you've ever had with a celebrity, Annalisa.Genevieve, who I love. We, we love her. We love her. That one time in Pittsburgh, we were at our favorite bar and Mac Miller walked in. R.I.P. She freaked out. He was the nicest and bought all of us pickleback shots. And later that night, the bar burned down. What? I know. They weren't there. Were they there? They weren't there. Thank the Lord. (laughs) But I do find it to be quite symbolic. So thank you for sharing, Annalisa. And last but not least, we have Sydney underscore Simer or Simmer. Don't know her, but I love her. (laughs) Who says, standing in a hotel elevator on my way to see corn. And to our surprise, in walks the one and only Ray Luzier, 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 drummer of Corn. And we instantly struck up a conversation and then were shocked. He was shocked that we knew who he was. Then last summer, I was sweating my balls off at Walla, Walla, Walla Lake. <laughs> Walla Walla? You know that lake? It's not Walla Walla. Walla Walla Lake. Oh, Walla Walla. And I bumped right into Jack Black. He straight up offered to take a picture with me, but I didn't have my phone. So I ran faster than I have ever in my entire life and grabbed my husband. He thought something serious had happened because I was charging him like a mad woman on a mission and sent his apps up to the dock to meet his hero. There is lots of pics of that. Super cool. I think Jack Black seems like a solid celebrity encounter. Solid celebrity encounter. I can't imagine that he would be anything but delightful, but they do say don't meet your heroes. But Sydney had a great experience. Sydney, the universe also responds to you. The universe reacts to you, Sydney. Good for you. (laughs) So this week, for the crazy question of the day, I feel like I keep setting Julianne up for failure. (laughs) Oh, I've expected it. (laughs) But I want to know, what is the craziest physical altercation you have ever seen or been a part of? Wow, I don't even know if you probably know the answer to this one. I don't know which one you're thinking of. Not thinking of any. My my mind is monkeys banging on cymbals. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> I'll do, I think I'll do one of each. Okay. Right? So I think the craziest physical interaction I've been a part of comes at the, comes at the hand of this one right next to me. Because I don't. I was really feisty and I am still very feisty, but I was not one who ever really got into girl fights or I definitely, you know, teetered the line on those. But Kendall, when we were younger, she was really, well, is, she's very strong. She was a really strong swimmer. So her shoulders are really strong. And I remember we definitely got into our fair share of scraps. I have scars everywhere, but there was one particular time where she was walking past my room or the in the hallway and I jumped just jumped on her back to get like wasn't 
I wasn't attacking her. I was just jumping on her back for a piggyback ride. And she must have thought it was something else because she threw me off of her shoulders and turned around. She turned around and swung at me and she broke my nose or (laughs) certainly broke my nose. I had, there was blood gushing everywhere. I had two really yellow eyes for weeks. And what was funny about that and kind of speaks to our last, our last episode is we were, we got into fights, but we were not tattletales. And so my dad came into my room and he, there was blood everywhere. And he asked me what happened. And I told him that I tripped and hit my face on a stool or a door handle. They never found out that she had, I mean, she did a number on me. It was pretty rough. Will Tina be listening to this and know the truth about this for the first time? I think she knows about it, but I can't remember. She knows. I think she definitely, she likes the game. What's the game? Um, I don't, it's the game she likes to play where she's like, tell me, it's like, tell me something I didn't know or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think she probably knows. <laughs> okay. And then as far as one I've seen, I don't think you know about this, but I um, had a job for a long time where I traveled back and forth to different places, a lot of them in the South. And I was in Orlando, Florida, and we were- Go figure. <laughs> was at- a client, potential client's house sitting down on their front porch with their family. So it was screened in, but you could see outside. And on the way there, we had seen a car pulled over and there was a guy pulled over with his, he was handcuffed and there was weed all over the the hood. And this girl was walking back and forth on her phone and she was so pissed that her boyfriend had gotten pulled over. And then we went to the house for the appointment and saw the same car and she got out in front of our house and she was screaming into the phone and then several cars rolled up and they were in a fight there were people coming to this place because they were in a fight about whatever was happening there and a bunch of girls got out of the car and started to go after her and it was a fight like baseball bats and then someone some other one, they obviously called in more reinforcements. Someone else got out. She, they tried to run this girl over with a car. It was really super <laughs> intense world star. It was crazy. Um, and they eventually, the cops, yeah, came and broke the whole thing up. But it was really scary. It was very weapons, very physical. I videotaped the whole thing. It was nuts. Did you send it into World Star? No, it was. <laughs> I didn't. I showed up. It was really bad quality video for some for some reason. But I have to pass it off to Kendall. What is the craziest physical interaction you have been a part of? Well, or, I don't want to say interaction because then that could go real weird. But altercation, altercation, altercation. <laughs> oh man, um, I'm gonna have to also say that it was with you. Oh no, <laughs> I think I know what she's gonna say. <clears throat> but you were also present at this one. Um, it was when we were downstairs in the basement and Julian was overusing her computer computer time, time. (laughs) which we had to share a family computer and, uh, we each got like 30 minutes of computer time and we had to switch off. So... Julianne was overusing her computer time and I wanted to use the computer and 
she wouldn't let me. So I pulled her pants off. <laughs> and then she continued to sit at the computer <laughs> with her thong <laughs> and her bare ass on this chair. And um, so I was like, well, this must be documented. So I took, a, I was trying to take a picture with my camera. And then Julianne got real mad and she took my phone and she threw it against a wall. And then we proceeded to scrap the audition for WWE. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was probably off the top of my head. Aren't you sad you missed out on these sisters? I was about to say, it turns out that being the one left behind is, is not the short end of the stick. (laughs) Oh, we were like pretty, pretty brutal. Very physical with each other. Yeah. 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 But we always covered for each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Rick? (laughs) I hope. Right. (laughs) I really, because I just thought of the one that I think you set me up for. So now I'm wondering if it's going to be yours. What is the craziest physical altercation you have been a part of or witnessed? Believe it or not, I'm not going to talk about one that happened between the two of us, of which there are plenty. So actually, it doesn't matter if you're separated at birth or not. It always comes. Um, But I do want to talk about, so I was in Scottsdale, for a oh, wedding. Oh, yes. This is a great one. <laughs> and I had been in the wedding, and this was like a full Catholic mass wedding. So I had been separated from my friends who were not in the wedding all day long. So by the time the wedding is over, reception is over, I get I grab Colin, my boyfriend, friends Jordan and Kevin, and Caitlin. And I'm like, I don't care how tired you are. We're going out. So I haven't hung out with you guys all day. <laughs> So we go out in uh, Old Town in downtown Scottsdale, and me and Caitlin are kind of flagging behind, or we're up in front. Recollections vary <laughs> for obvious reasons. And we see this guy grab his girlfriend by the hair on, a, on the patio of a bar and pull her out into the middle of the street and throw her onto the ground and proceed to kind of mount her as though he were going to continue to hit her. And me and Katie, being the true crime fans that we are, we're like, not on our watch, bitch. (laughs) So with an entirely false sense of confidence, run up on this guy. I push him off of this girl, and he kind of looks up at me and says, mind your own fucking business, and pushes me back by my shoulders. And I know I've mentioned that Colin is an Army veteran, but I didn't mention that he's a championship wrestler (laughs) for, like, West Point. (laughs) So I just hear, (laughs) and Colin has taken this guy clean off his feet, full mount grapevine. I don't know what that is, but I know he says it when he tells his story (laughs) and has just grabbed him by the collars and is like roaring in his face. This guy's terrified. His shoes are off. He blew him uh, right out of his shoes. That's insane. <laughs> Our friend Kevin runs up and is like <laughs> dragging the guy out from underneath Colin, being like, you don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this tonight. Like, get out of here. So we separate everyone. And the girl gets up in my face and is like, that's my baby daddy. You have no business getting into this. And I'm like, what? He was about to punch you in the face in the middle of the street. 
And he gets up and he's sort of scolding her for getting in my face. And he's like, I just want my shoes. And he's got these Jordans that he's been blown out of. And I pick him up and I look him in his face and I'm like, these shoes. And I threw him into the middle of a huge crowd. So he had to shamefully walk into it barefoot to get his own shoes. And it was just the best. And I feel like I did do Colin a disservice in talking about the look alive guy (laughs) (laughs) and saying that that guy could have possibly laid him out. I was just saying he might have thought about it, but Colin surely would have come out on top. Um, But yeah, that's the craziest physical altercation I've ever been in, but certainly not the only one. (laughs) Yeah, that is crazy. And I'm happy. I mean, way to stand up for the girl. Yeah, I hope she's okay today. She's probably not, uh, statistics would say. In fact, just if anyone's thinking about doing that, we probably made that worse for her because she probably went home and things were not fun. But um, yeah, never want to start a fight now. (laughs) But we'll interject ourselves into the middle of one to do what is the perceived right thing Mm -hmm. at the time. Perfect. Well, those are fun. (laughs) I'm going to ask everyone on Instagram and TikTok to share theirs, and I can't wait to see what we get. Uh, But again, last week, we left off at a very special place. Julianne had just read the letter where you guys had graciously agreed to meet up with me (laughs) and said that we needed to set up time and place via phone call, and then we did. So this episode, we are going to talk about meeting each other for the first time. Do a thorough film review of one of the greatest films ever made, we thought. Um, Talk about kind of our experiences after that, how it shaped us, if it shaped some of us more than others. Ultimately talk about being in middle school and your dad kind of getting sicker on the heels of my dad passing away. And then... We're going to end with a really fun interactive surprise, which I'm so excited about. Um, So, Kendall, tell us about where we decided to meet for the first time and how that all unfolded. Well, I believe we decided to meet at a mall. Let's go to the mall. (laughs) Anybody watch... (laughs) How I Met Your Mother. No, no, the cheese stands alone. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so we went to a mall. I think it was called Twin Peaks. Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah, which my mom finds to be. She Very loves anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was fairly anticlimactic, as I remember. Um, the parents kind of like stood back and just let us do our own thing. Um, so if I'm to understand, because I don't remember this, but it's obvious now, and they kind of mentioned it, when we went into a whole movie, <laughs> they just sat outside and talked. Did they not yeah. see the movie? No, no, they did not see the movie. Oh. No. They sent us in by ourselves. Yeah. Interesting. They knew what was they. <laughs> saved themselves. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. I think that was their first, not their first, but first time in a long time actually getting together to talk as parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we went to Claire's cause we were all lip gloss obsessed as any fifth, fifth grader, fifth or fifth grade. I think it would have been sixth grade and sixth grade, Mm -hmm. um, is, and then we went and saw the cinematic masterpiece that is and was Daredevil. 
Starring Ben Affleck. Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. <laughs> really a stand Michael Clark cast. Duncan. <laughs> Joe Pantoliano. And Jean Favreau. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. Because we obviously all have really fond memories of that movie. Kendall, you said you've watched it recently and you think that you still like it. <laughs> I am a sentimental person, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and that, no, that is interesting about you because also if you have watched a film and then something really bad has happened around when you were watching the film or it uh, causes you to draw conclusions to something else that's been happening in your life, you hate that film in a vitriolic way for the rest of your life moving forward. I'm trying to remember what film you're... I'm like a anything with Patrick Swayze in it, you're a no. Oh, yeah, I don't like Patrick Swayze. I'm not a big Patrick Swayze fan. Uh, but I do love 17 again. Right. So. Okay. So we'll talk about the association with Patrick Swayze and 17 again at the end of this. Yes. Um, but we thought it would be really fun. <laughs> well, first I want to read the very brief synopsis. Just in case you haven't had the pleasure of seeing Daredevil. Attorney Matt Murdock is blind, but his other four senses function with superhuman sharpness. By day, Murdock represents the downtrodden. At night, he is Daredevil, a mass vigilante, a relentless avenger of justice. When Wilson Fisk hires Bullseye to kill Daredevil, Murdock must rely on his own senses and search out the conspirators against justice which may include his own girlfriend, Electra. This is, was this the genesis of, of Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner? Yes. This is how they met. <laughs> yes. R.I.P. Oh, poor Jennifer Garner. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, so let's first talk about what we remember most about seeing the movie together or the movie. I remember Jennifer Garner being the most beautiful person I've ever laid eyes on. I don't know if they like um, CGI edited her eyeballs to be like the most ridiculous aquamarine color in the world, but I was entranced. And aside from Nala in The Lion King, this may have spurred some (laughs) bi-curious curiosity for me. (laughs) She was stunning. I I think she had a TikTok recently where she appears to be training pretty hard for something and people were wondering if it's some kind of reboot of Daredevil, which I don't think it is, but her body was insane in that movie too. Yeah. And then Kendall, you loved Bullseye. And I remember we have a video of us explaining the movie after the movie and you loved, what is it? Paper clips. What do you remember about this? Oh my God, it's so, it's kind of disturbing. He like took the paper clips and like magically made them straight in his hand. And then he like flinged them at some <laughs> dude into his throat and he like immediately died, which I don't actually think <laughs> would happen in real life. But was that his, because it was just, was it just one person or was that his superpower? <laughs> Oh, his his superpower was to literally like hit the hit the he bullseye. Had a, like superhuman aim. Okay, so like anything that he was throwing hit the bullseye. Yeah. Okay. Then he had just a brand, <laughs> a brand on his forehead. <laughs> so 
so ridiculous. <laughs> Julian, anything that stands out to you? Um, I don't know if it's because I've been reading reviews, but I do remember a lot of rain. I don't know where this movie was based he's out like, of. At one point, he's like sitting out on a roof. Yeah, and just I just realized that the reason that they made the movie have a lot of rain is because it falls on things and gave him his sonar kind of capabilities. So it's probably why he was living in the place that he was living in because it right. had a lot of rain. Right, mm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember that. And it was a very dark, not dark, not dark. It was dark. <laughs> the movie was dark. You couldn't like see the very Game well. of Thrones episodes that people get pissed off about. Yeah, which I think people are mad about this in the reviews, but I think it's probably because he was blind. I think they're probably trying to sort of portray that in the film. Mm-hmm. But I remember the same thing you did. I remember Jennifer Anner and Blit Gardner being a absolute smoke show. Yes. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. I would watch it again <laughs> and again. I, w- I will say that the movie is set in. Hell's Kitchen. So I don't think mm. New York is a particularly, particularly rainy. rainy. Well, it was for Daredevil, <laughs> but it was it was New York's rainy season, and all the other times Daredevil has to lay in his soundproof coffin. Oh my god! Because yes. he will have no superheroes. Yes, he had to sleep in a what like a water. Like a coffin with water in it, like a sound deprivation deprivation tank, tank, so that Mm -hmm. he, because if he didn't, he would hear, he would never be able to sleep. Floating before floating was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Kendall, your admiration for Colin Farrell in that movie seems to be the only shared opinion across the internet. Well, there's a review here that says, when Farrell's on screen, Daredevil becomes more than just a finely tuned entertainment machine. In a movie that will rake people in no matter what, it's fun to see something unexpected. So if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and read the reviews for this movie, the only praise that they have at all, even in the slightest, (coughs) is for Colin Farrell. This movie has a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the tomato meter. And then... The audience score is 35%. This has to be one of the only movies I've ever seen with a lower audience score than a critic score. And we were in the 35% because we remain statistically unusual. And Jules, what's your favorite review that we read today? I have two very short ones. The first one is... From start to finish, the film is death-ridden and employs over-amplified sound to pump up its many pornographic images. (laughs) Which I have to say, I do not remember being a huge part of the movie. I feel like I would have remembered seeing Jennifer Gardner nearly naked, but I don't remember it. I got to watch it again. And then the next one just says, (laughs) Gatorade baths and clingy clothes. (laughs) Gatorade baths? I I don't know what they're talking about. I think it's because they're always wet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've got here horrendous, but really fun to watch. It's just an incredibly enjoyable, bad film, plain and simple. Amen. And my favorite, there are good comic book movies and there are bad comic book movies. This movie definitely has its place among the worst of the worst. There are multiple things to hate about this movie and not so many things to like. You can say that the movie is somehow saved by Colin Farrell's somewhat good performance, but everyone else in the movie looks like they are suffering from some disease. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ben Affleck looks like he doesn't want to be there, and Jennifer Garner is totally miscast as Electra. The movie has no charisma, and the story is really weak in many different ways. You can't really see where the original script got lost in horrible storytelling, or if the script was just bad from the very first draft. The action in the movie fails on many different levels, because you never really know what's going on with the characters in the scenes. This movie is a failure on many different levels. So I guess you could say we set ourselves up for success. <laughs> Wait, I don't know why they thought she was miscast. She had that whole ass alias show. I think that's probably why she was cast because she was like, yeah, was, you know. I thought she was cast know. very impeccably well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about Electra, but I know that I liked it. <laughs> that's true. I guess we don't know who she's trying to play. That's fair. Uh, and then Kendall. So we see Daredevil, a cinematic masterpiece. And then what do we do? We went to, um, it was old, Ch- old, Chicago. old Chicago. Yeah. And I don't, was the whole thing in Longmont or something? Longmont or Loveland. <laughs> it was like somewhere in between where, but we just hung out and took like lots of pictures and we were, we very clearly put a lot of thought into our outfits for the day. <laughs> We were wearing our standard uniform of hoodies and jeans, and you were wearing a just plain white T-shirt. Yeah, plain white tees. Were that was that band of the time? That's my band. It's your band. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was like an altogether very normal, <laughs> kind of boring, but like not for us because we were meeting our sisters for the first time. Um, evening, I think. And our parents were like really great with it and didn't make things weird or awkward. And it was just like we were friends hanging out for the millionth time and just shooting the shit. Yeah. I wish, I don't wish that it had happened later for obvious reasons. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I wish that like we were fully formed human beings and, and could more recall like the feelings associated with it after. I know, I mean, I moved to Missouri apparently the day after, yeah. which is bold, and know that I thought back on that often as like the best day of my life that it happened up to that point. And I'm sure that it was. There's not a lot of contest. So, but Jules, you have a letter from my mom shortly after we met. Yes. It says, Dear Tina and Ken, how are you guys? I hope you're doing good. I just wanted to write this letter to both of you because I wanted to thank you for the wonderful day, February 16th, 2003, a day that I will forever remember. I'm so grateful to both of you for allowing that for Ricky Lee first, me second. Foremost, that she was finally able to meet her sisters and that it brought her such happiness. For me, that I was able to see Kendall and Julianne, that I was able to give Ricky Lee her dream come true, that I was able to see you and Ken and how much that whole visit finally brought me to the peace that I needed. You see, up until that point, I had never been able to say with conviction, yes, I did the right thing. You've always been that this, there's always been this lingering doubt in my mind. Did I do the right thing? And after that day, I am free to say yes. I love you both with all my heart. You know, I couldn't have chosen better not even in myself. When I think, when I realize that that if I hadn't have done it and then that Kendall and Julianne would have had Lee for a father, 
I was so thankful that they had you instead, Ken, or have you instead, Ken. How, Im- how you impressed me so much that day. You put all of my doubts to rest. Tina, you are so youthful, so nurturing, so loving. I chose the best. I want you both to know that I have no regrets. I love you all the way up to the moon and back. We are doing well. <laughs> Ricky Lee got five A's, one B plus, and a D plus underline <laughs> in science. It's all right. She'll come out of it. I am hoping that that since she will be here the whole year this year, that it will help her establish a few solid friendships. As long as she has one or two good friends, she'll be fine. She gets homesick from time to time, which I expected anyway. Nothing out of the norm. Our home is beautiful. We got the barn, horse fence, and dog fence up, which I would like to clarify that that means she built them. <laughs> not the not the last structure that she has built. That is from insane. the ground. That <laughs> is crazy. Pretty much said for winter. <laughs> Did very well with the sale of the house in Colorado. Closed on April twenty eighth, I believe. We are in good shape. Have no regrets about leaving Colorado. I will tell you this. I was waiting to see if you guys would ask us to come and live by you so that Ricky Lee could be a part of your family. And I would have done it had you have asked, but things worked out all right. I wanted you both to know that Ricky Lee is free to come up there and spend time with you guys if you ever wanted her to. Please remember that. I am getting her and I both back to therapy and counseling starting this Monday, actually. If she has any anger inside about anything, her dad, her sisters, I didn't want her having, blah, blah, blah. Or I wanted her to have an outlet and I want someone up there to guide her through it and show her how to deal with it. Do you guys ever watch the Discovery Health Channel? They have a very good show on there called Adoption Stories, a real tearjerker. My hand just died. I can't write anymore. Tell Julie, and you can tell her handwriting really does like taking those times. <laughs> tell Julianne and Kendall hi for me and give them my love. Love, Kathleen. So we actually just read that all the way through for the first time maybe ever. And I think there were some revelations in there. Did anything stick out to you guys? Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> a D plus in science. <laughs> I really want everyone to know that I'm not, I don't get D's. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what Ricky stuck on. No, it's just science. the first thing that I'm saying uh, for comedic <laughs> relief. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that that teacher was the only teacher that didn't let me any slack as my dad was dying <laughs> at the end of the quarter or whatever it was. But um. Uh, that is the first time that I heard that my mom was very happy that Ken was your dad instead of Lee, uh, which is heartbreaking for me to hear. I can understand why she would feel that way. Again, bad husband, but, uh, great, great dad. So I think that it's obvious that since he has passed away in that time that she's probably, because he was like on his deathbed making confessions to her as one does. Um, so I think that it's really clear there's a lot of anger there. Um, I would have loved to have Ken as a, a father, <laughs> but not not over my own <laughs> just because of, um, and we need to stop laughing when we're uncomfortable. I realize that. Thank you. Uh, 
everyone on the internet. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have traded my dad for the world. But yeah, so hearing that was uh, really rough. And then, Kendall, what do you think about what my mom said about me moving by you guys and being part of your family? Well, <clears throat> the fact that I think your mom's truck was literally packed to the gills when we met at the mall. So I don't really know how that would have worked out for, <laughs> for you guys to just be like, well, I guess we're already packed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I just don't think my parents would have ever thought it was their place to be like, come, don't go to your job opportunity in Missouri and come live closer to us. I don't know. It's just, I don't think that uh, was ever like even a thought. Yeah, I think it rubs the wrong way because it seems like what we've been talking about, she might attribute the same sense of longing that I was feeling to maybe you guys then having that logging feeling after we had met, which just wasn't a, wasn't the case. Um, I think it speaks to how well the, that meeting went. You know what I mean? I think that it was so good for her to see all of us getting along and all of that. And I do think that the last sentence of that kind of notion, which says that you're always you know, able to come visit us if that's something that she or that we wanted or our parents were okay with, that she would be open to that. And I'm wondering how much that had to do with how that ended up happening, how we did, you know, we did open our kind of, that sounds weird, open our home to you. <laughs> but we did. We uh, made it a point from there on out to have you to our house and to spend time together. And I think maybe that's sort of what she was getting at. Yeah, and I think we're just all a little bit shocked because it was the first time we read that. It was the first time we read that <laughs> that sentence. I think it was just a surprise for us. Yeah, I guess maybe she might have been uncomfortable saying, Ricky doesn't really have a strong family foundation now. So if I can present her with the opportunity to have that at any turn, I will. And then she says in that letter, like, if I can just make one or two good friends, <laughs> I'll be set. So I think... Yeah, I'm getting homesick. I'm having a hard time making friends. So she just wanted me to have an opportunity with you guys elsewhere. She had said in there that she was going to be taking you to counseling and therapy. I'm curious if you remember that. And if, yeah, if you remember that, what that was like, because you were young, you were 10, 11 years old. I do remember it. Complex. So I still remember my therapist. His name was Dr. Mark Liston. He follows this podcast. Hi, Dr. Mark. Hey, Dr. Mark. Um, that was at the time, and Julianne, I know you at the very least had experience with this. I don't know if you did. With what? Going to therapy. I think they sent Julianne to therapy as sort of like a, she was acting out an intervention <laughs> No, we, they sent us both to therapy. Yeah, we both. Oh, okay. I, there's just nothing mm -hmm. as notable. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I remember manipulating him into thinking mm -hmm. that I was totally fine. It was very easy to do. I think it's pretty easy for people to do that for therapists in general. Now, it's kind of like when you're 
uh, pretending that you're asleep in the back of the car so that your parents will bring you inside and you think that they fully buy that you're asleep when you're young. I'm sure that's what was happening. But I do know that he went to my mom and was like, she's fine. You need more therapy than her. <laughs> oh, I remember what what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I understand what you mean. Okay, sorry. Yes. Go ahead. Um, but I, I do remember having a really good sense of camaraderie with him. I remember feeling very safe with him. He was also a Christian therapist. And in my experience, going to a Christian therapist and going to a, what would we call it, a secular therapist is a lot different because a Christian therapist is really therapizing you around the faith structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I went to him for like a long time, I think. And I mean, we're close enough that he still wishes me a happy birthday on Facebook, but I, I didn't have any breakthroughs and I don't remember admitting to being deeply sad or angry. And this was when I went to middle school in Diamond, Missouri, and I was deeply sad and angry and had an incredibly difficult time making friends there because I was entering a class of 52. So let's say I was number 53. 50 of them had grown up together in school, well, in the town of 800 (laughs) and in school uh, from pre-K up to when I was entering at the end of sixth grade. So we're about to go into middle school and they just did not welcome me with open arms. Uh, and that did not change through the duration of my high school career, which we'll talk about. But this is definitely the time when um, I was so upset about my dad dying. I said that in the what it would mean to meet you. I was very much acknowledging it as like a hole in my heart. And I'm still fucked up from like how I said it before, how grotesque it was. It was just not a a glamorous going out. It was full of horrific weight loss, phlegm, (laughs) fighting, um, really watching someone turn into like a skeleton and being embarrassed to be seen with him sometimes, like when he was being pushed in a wheelchair and just like totally decrepit. And so dealing with that was very difficult. Moving was very difficult. The house was great. (laughs) Like she said, it was, that was, um, we talk about it a lot, us equalizing. Uh, That was, we were able to sell the house in Colorado and buy a really nice property in Missouri. And the, I had my bedroom upstairs. It was so big. That was so amazing. So I did have like um like a solace at home. And that's when me and my mom really started to foster that like single mom and daughter relationship that you see in movies or on Gilmore Girls or whatever. But uh yeah, overall really hard, really difficult to make friends. Therapy was not helping because I did not want to talk about my feelings. Kendall and I have the common feeling of not feeling present in our bodies. I didn't feel present in my body till I was 26 or 27. Jules, you experienced it a little bit differently. (laughs) Um, So I don't remember a lot, but I do know that that's when I was like reading a lot of angsty books and listening to a lot of angsty music. And this is, that is when I started to self-harm, which is something that I struggled with up until... 2016 or 18. Uh, 
And I remember it being very, very, I was very casually doing it. We would have art class and we were working with stained glass and I would really purposefully take pieces of the stained glass to cut myself. Um, and never talked about that in therapy. I remember there being sort of like an intervention at church. Someone noticed it and kind of pulled my mom to the side and asked if she had noticed it. And I feel like maybe she said no or... Maybe I had made up really good excuses or maybe it was like willful ignorance. But yeah, that's what I remember of therapy. But I do think it lasted like for years. Which I don't think I knew that. And I'm wondering how that affected your relationship with therapy today. Um, And then I was going to ask, and I know it's hard, but because I don't, I, I think I'd quote unquote, struggle with self-harm in the way that I just saw it and kind of glamorized it and maybe partook in that a couple of times just because it was talked about and all of that. But do you, can you vocalize or can you explain what that kind of compulsion is, where it stems from, how it made you feel, just kind of where, because I think a lot of our listeners probably struggle with the same thing. And I know it's really hard to talk about, but. Yeah, it would be hard for me to vocalize it then. Um, but I remember just being so transfixed at like seeing the damage being done and that feeling like a, a real release. But the last time I did it would have been like during a really bad fight with my ex-boyfriend. And I very distinctly remember that feeling of having so many feelings inside and so much rage bottling up and like screaming doesn't get it done. It just feels like something that you have control over and it feels like a total outlet and it feels like watching the pain inside of your body become more manageable pain on the outside of your body. So I'd say that's, yeah, definitely what it is. And do you think, um, I'm just, I'm wondering with your, mom and these, you know, people that had noticed and the lack, do you, do you know if it was ever asked about in therapy? Do you remember? And if it's something that you steered away from or it just was not brought up? It wasn't brought up and maybe I was like super discreet about it, but I can like see the scars. <laughs> um, but I think I was mindful enough to not, um, because typically if someone's going to be really routinely self-harming, they're going to do it like on the inside of their thighs or somewhere people don't see. And that's not where I was doing it. I was doing it on my arms and I was doing it on the top of my arms because it was like easier to get a good non-lethal cut in. Um, But I think I only did it like pretty few and far between, like really sporadically. So it looked like it could just be an accident or something. And what about the, because you, I mean, it sounds like you went to therapy for years how does, because you, you have been the one to seek out therapy more than, way more than Kendall or myself. Do you think that being, being, um, you know, kind of inducted into being therapized early on had any effect on that? Or is it too, because of, like you said, having a uh, faith-based therapist and then secular therapist. Are they completely different in your head? How did that all, how does, how did the two correlate if at all? Yeah, no, I think because I had a really positive relationship with Dr. Mark, 
uh, and knew that when you go into therapy, like you're only talking about what you want to talk about. It's not, no one's like pressing you really. So I knew that when I was going to seek it out independently of someone telling me that I needed to do it or my mom setting it up for me, I knew that I could just go and share like as much as I wanted. And then I think as you get older as an adult and are inhabiting your own body and are struggling with conflict resolution or your own feelings, um, then you get to go and like focus on the thing that you want to focus on. So it's super helpful. But I do think it was completely destigmatized for me. That's, I think, the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, a, a sad, sad, sad little middle schooler. And I think that it was probably, I was probably sadder that we had met and I knew what it could be like to be with you guys. And then I was really stuck in Diamond, Missouri <laughs> with, uh, not very many good friends. I made maybe like one, two good friends in middle school. Uh, that grew into like three good friends in high school uh, until I had, I found another group of friends, which we'll talk about next episode because it's a whole thing. We know that the religious themes have been strong throughout the duration of this podcast up to this point, And we want to really home in on that. Um, but uh, something that makes me happy from that letter is like we talk about what an anticlimactic moment it was for us, but it was a very climactic moment for my mom mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I've never read a letter since then. And maybe that's due to technology, but uh, in all of the letters leading up to that, that she would write to Tina and Ken, it would say, I really regret my decision. I would do anything to have them. I feel shame. I feel guilt. And I think that was total release for her. Mm -hmm. And I think that she, cause now like if we ask her about it, she doesn't, she said she doesn't feel that. And I don't remember her ever really poignantly talking about it in our home that we shared just the two of us that she felt that. And I think that that would have been when she started to get more comfortable with discussing more adult topics with me. So I think that she was really able to put that to bed. So I think that what it wasn't for us because it felt so natural, it was for her. Mm -hmm. And then we found out for Tina and Ken as well. So I think that that would be the takeaway from the the meeting. Um, but let's talk about your guys' middle school experiences. So when I met you guys, Ken had just been diagnosed and he said, you know, it's not a problem. My cancer is treatable. They said that if I wear sunscreen and cover up with a hat, I should be fine. So after our meeting, first of all, like, did that change anything fundamentally within you? I already know the answer, but just tell them. And then uh, tell me more about the progression of your dead sickness or if it kind of came in and out. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it changed anything super fundamentally for us. I do think in some of these letters, there is that, I, I think, it, I was... I was trying, I was always trying to be more mature than I was. And that uh, definitely had an effect on the decisions that I made and the the relationships that I had and all of that. But I, um, and you can see in these letters that I am like a little bit, I'm asking about things that you would get to do that were not age appropriate. So I think that would be like the fundamental thing was me still looking for things to be Thing, like the grass is always greener things that 
you were allowed to do that I wasn't allowed to do and and things like that. But you can tell we we really enjoyed writing to you. And I think that we were I remember Kendall and you remember this too. Whenever we would get a letter or a picture, we were so excited. And I definitely would take your pictures to school and show them off. And I think we probably used that as a conversation starter, if you will, when we were just going into, into a middle, we called it junior high in Colorado. In Colorado, you were in elementary school from first grade to sixth grade. And then you were junior high, seventh, eighth, ninth, which was also interesting in the letters because you go to high school before Kendall and I do, which you can tell just... Oh my God, ate the mate away at me like none other. So I think that's the only thing I can really remember like fundamentally is that we had something that we were proud and excited to talk about that was very unique and, you know, gave us kind of an opening there. And then I think it was, it was for me very much so was what's greener on that side of the fence if there is anything. What about you, Kenny? Um, I think, I don't think, um, I mean, in the letters, I think the, it was alluded to that we were not really ready or that's what was said in the letters. I think that was probably me. (laughs) Um, I've always been a little like slower to adapt and adjust and everything. And I'm not good with change at all. So I think, um, I did think it would like fundamentally like change everything and it really didn't. So, um, I definitely remember just, um, like looking up to you and Julianne and, (laughs) um, I think I kind of felt a little bit like, um, the less cool younger, (laughs) younger sister, um, even though I'm not (laughs) younger, um, or less cool. Or less cool. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was just, I, I also had a lot hard, a uh, really hard time keeping and making friends. And I think um, it seemed like you had a bunch <laughs> to me. Um, so that was, that added to, you know, me kind of looking up to you and it, think we'll read in a letter later where I'm like, I saw a picture of you and I got uh, the same brace color to match because I thought it would be cool. (laughs) So I think I just really looked up to you guys a lot. Um, And yeah, I don't know. That's what I remember about it. As we were like just real jealous of your boobs. Oh my God, we were. Like so jealous. Ricky developed a lot earlier than myself and Kendall, which I know you have your theories about why that was. But yeah, she was, I mean, fully developed by the time we met each other in sixth grade. And we were definitely feeling like we were being left behind for sure. Okay. Also that, I'm so glad you brought that up. First of all, I don't know why you're still calling this a theory. (laughs) It is... Laid out before our eyes <laughs> that I developed a lot just as soon as my my dad passed away. Really, I really do think it had a lot to do with starting my cycle, which they have proven you, it comes from trauma. You can start it early, especially if I didn't. I will, not to my knowledge, did I have a 
a traumatic early sexual experience, but that can happen a lot too. Obviously, it can mess up a woman's cycle or make her start early, but oh my God, my boobs came in so early. And that was, wow, having such a revelation. That was a huge problem for me going into that new school. That's what I was just thinking. Because I was, I mean, probably a C cup going into a sixth grade classroom. And my mom took me into like JCPenney or whatever. And she bought me only uh, boys clothes. And she bought me maternity bras so that we could try to like cover these suckers up. And it was like right when Degrassi was on and Manny was wearing those amazing outfits with her thong like over her jeans. Um, And that's like all I wanted to do because it was so cool. And I was having to dress in these boys clothes, which ended up just like not working in my favor at all because then they were just teasing me because of the fact that I was only wearing boys clothes. And then I was sort of, you know, wanting to make it super clear, like, why that was the case. So I uh, was trying to make it more and more apparent that I had breasts. And this is when I would start to like walk by the high school baseball fields. And as the high schoolers were practicing and I would walk by, they would start yelling like back problems. Oh. Um, because I had I had developed at such an early age. But oh my God, this whole time I've been wondering why they hated me so much. And I that has to be just a huge component of it because not I just did look older. Yeah. All around. I think that's junior high middle school is such now that we're talking about it, I would never go back there ever because I think that was Kendall, the age gap that we, like the way that they did the grades, I remember going into junior high, my very first day, Kendall and I were very, I want to say sheltered, but we, I mean, we obviously never had kissed a boy ever, never were really exposed to any of that. And I remember my, so our junior high school was in a different area of town Mm -hmm. than our elementary school. So the like demographics may have been a little bit different. And so I remember going into my first day of seventh grade and my, the girl that had the locker next to me was in ninth grade and she was beautiful. And she was talking about how she was a born again virgin. And I remember my first day just being like, oh my God, it was insane to me that she had had sex when she was 14. And I still think that that is it still gets on my, I don't know. It, I don't makes you be, feel weird. Yeah, makes, it makes feel me weird. <laughs> feel weird. But I remember that that was a big component all throughout junior high for me is that I was trying, I wanted to be more mature, but you, I really was not ready for it. So it was like this really strange push and pull. And yeah, it caused a lot of just weird feelings for me because I wanted to be something. And I wanted to have experiences that obviously inherently, I just really was not ready for. So I just pushed it, pushed it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And yeah, had some weird, I mean, I lied to it. I lied to the guy that gave me my first kiss. I lied to, I absolutely lied to him. How old was he, Kendall? I think 16. (laughs) I had no idea. You had no idea that this happened. I think this, this this poor boy was 16 and I had told him that I was close to his age and I was definitely 12 or 13 oh, and tricked those him were the guys we were, and, yeah oh they were such 
winners chaya jasper i think and um yeah just wanted to be racier and more promiscuous than my heart actually wanted to be which caused it's yeah just it gives me a weird feeling now yeah i remember finding out that sam had had like a sexual experience my biggest crush in a lot of junior high and high school actually and i found out that the, he had, had like an experience with a girl that was a little bit older than us and it broke my heart and I was just also really grossed out by it and having to reconcile those things in my head. Yeah. I think that as we talk about this more and more and, and especially in next episode with both um, all of us being raised in uh, semi-religious to extremely religious households and struggling with our relationships with our fathers. Uh, Sex is going to get a little bit Mm -hmm. complicated for us. And relationships with men in power in general is going to get a little bit complicated for us. And feeling confident is going to get a little bit complicated for us. Um, And fear of being abandoned and... uh, uh, filling voids is mm-hmm. is going to be there. I will say that um, I think I went the opposite way. Um, but I had like, I don't know, like whenever you say like we're fatherless, like that irks me because I very much have and had a dad and he very much um, informs still to this day, like a lot of things that I do. And, um, I, but I had a, a a really good relationship with him, like up to the very end. And I, I think another theme of our lives is that I, like you two have, and this could be part of the nature nurture thing. You two have this like curiosity that I do not have. And I don't think I ever will. Like, I'm like, if I don't have some experiences in life, that's totally fine. And I don't think I'm going to like die and regret that. Um, so I think I very much swung like the opposite way. And I was, you know, um, I was sheltered. and I remained sheltered, I think. Um, she was like, I'm sheltered and I'm sheltering. <laughs> <No>. Exactly. <laughs> Kevin um, invented shelter in place. <laughs> Yeah. Did you feel really supported by your dad in middle school? Like, did you talk to him about any changes that were happening or or grown-up feelings you were experiencing or anything like that? I don't think so. I think, um, I think he was more of like a, some, like I could kind of escape from that kind of stuff and just not have to deal with it. But I do know that um, I, I mean, I talk about like the issues with like having not feeling like I had enough friends or not um, feeling like I had like a best friend or whatever. Um, never talked to them about or to my parents about that because um, they had, you know, such a great friend group. So I felt like there was something wrong with me. Um I, yeah, I wanted to hang out with my, my parents. <laughs> so I would be curious to see, and I don't know, Rick, if you had conversations like that with your mom, because I definitely did not. I 
junior high is probably when I still started to pull away from my parents a little bit, both of them. And I mean, I was doing dumb shit all the time. (laughs) I was, my mom wouldn't let me wear eyeliner. So I would nibble off the end of Q-tips and dip it into Kendall's mascara and use mascara as eyeliner for my bottom lash. I would probably like hide. I was definitely taking my mom's underwear, like thongs. I was stealing them and wearing them above my jeans at school. Like it was that kind of thing. And I know when I got my, when I started my cycle, I did not tell my mom. And she has, she remembers that to this day. I hid it from her and she found out obviously by doing laundry, but it really hurt her that I didn't say anything. So I did never, I don't, I never had any of those deeper conversations with my parents, I think ever until now, obviously when we're get, having the opportunity to get closer to mom, which is great, but I was very shut off from the jump kind of, haha, jump. <laughs> Do you think, uh, cause you, you, you seem to have a really distinct, um, delineation point of that being when you started to pull away and we did not answer the question about your dad's health at this mm-hmm. time. Like, do you have any idea of the impetus for that? Or was it because he was getting sick or? He was, he was diagnosed when we were still in elementary school. And then I think really junior high was the only time that he was in remission. I think he got re-diagnosed when we were going into high school. It was definitely when we were in ninth grade, because I remember him coming to my um, poetry reading after he had had surgery for the second time, which was so hard. But so for a couple of years now, I think it was just me really acting out and seeing, I mean, our, our high, our junior high had some pretty mature <laughs> things going on for sure. They, there were a lot of, there was, I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Honestly, it, there was, people were doing drugs and our junior high girls were getting pregnant. It was not like we very super wholesome. We very much went from like an elementary school where like it was a huge deal when a girl like kissed a guy on the cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was like, holy crap. Um, where like the closest thing that you had to have a boyfriend was going to the the one sock dance hop. a year together, the school sock hop, to, uh, you know, a junior high where you know, people are making fun of girls for having pubic hair and like um, talking about like, you know, giving head and like all this stuff. Yeah. Like, what is that? And that sounds disgusting. Like I don't, it was very, very sheltered to like very, very not. <laughs> I think that's when I started getting mad at my parents because we, it still is very crazy to me, the amount of rope that some of these kids had and they were, they were in junior high going to boys' houses and, you know, staying the night at other people. And I think I started to get really pissed off at my parents because they were really good parents. They were very strict with their, not very, now that I look back on it, they weren't that fucking strict. (laughs) They were just not letting me run around like a hooligan. They weren't letting me do whatever I wanted to do. And um, I think I just started to build up a lot of resentment and I started to hide things from them and really go I did not listen I really went behind their backs and did you know what you know tried to do as much of whatever I wanted as possible mm-hmm. versus me where I went out on a date with 
two guys, like a double date with two guys and my friend. You went on a date with two guys? <laughs> uh, yeah, just me. <laughs> uh, but I called my mom during the date because I was uncomfortable and didn't want to be there. And I was like, mom, can you please call me and tell me that my curfew is in half an hour, please? <laughs> when was this? Um, I mean, that was more in high school, but. I was like, there's <laughs> So you see what I mean? They were letting her do whatever she wanted. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So and, I was, uh, I was, le- <laughs> I was like not wanting to do any of the <laughs> crazy shit. Yeah. And I, you, I think had, had some rope, but didn't do you, it was in a, I don't know what you did with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a non-factor. You, oh, Ricky yeah. had the rope. I was like, you got my rope taken away. <laughs> Mom was like, she didn't think that we could have different rules. So Julianne, she knew that Julianne was saying she was going to sleepovers and then going and partying. So then she wasn't allowed to have sleepovers and I was not allowed to have sleepovers because. That sucks. That does suck because I'm sure you felt that that impeded you even more in your self-professed struggle to make friends. I don't know if I felt that way. And I have since told my mom, because I think the big thing that uh, we were upset about in middle or junior high was like, our parents wouldn't let us have MySpace because they were like, predators go on MySpace and try and find like kids and stuff. And I remember stalking the hell out of your MySpace. But I've told my mom since like, I'm so glad that I don't have a MySpace. <laughs> Facebook is bad enough, man. I'm so glad I don't have a MySpace floating out there. Yeah, MySpace was brutal. Brutal. Um, yeah, I did have a lot of rope with my mom. That's actually... We're about to get into episodes where I struggle to contextualize my relationship with my mom because I loved talking to her in the first episode And in middle school and high school, my mom and I were incredibly close. We'll read a letter where I've told her, I tell, I tell her everything, 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 everything. If I kiss a boy, if a boy touches me, if what is happening with other kids at school, and there was an insane amount of trust there. And I fostered that with my mom because she knew that as a deaf parent now alone with a teenage girl in the house, that I might be really apt to sneak out, never did. And this is all because I got into a youth group and was hanging out with mostly kids from church who are actually incredibly poorly behaved, but on the surface, you know, um, they're not. And so, yeah, if, if I wanted to go on a date, if I wanted to have a boy over, if I wanted to fall in love with a boy from Michigan and have him come and stay with us for a week in Missouri, all on the table with my mom. And you can see her look at pictures of me in middle school and high school now and be, you know, she'll point to them and say, you've changed so much as though people are not supposed to change. Right. Um, And that really hurts me because I'm very happy with who I am today. But yes, my mom and I were deeply, deeply close in middle school and high school. And the few times that I did fuck up, she was like right there. And I wasn't punished very badly because she could see that it was paining me so. And 
I had that early onset anxiety that we'll <laughs> read a little bit more about. But um, And do you think, because our parents, and God bless them, they really were great parents because they very much so were, we are not your friends, we are your parents. And that's where a lot of our guidelines came from and were enforced by. You can't imagine what would have happened if they would have let me do whatever I want. But do you think that, because I think there's a, there's a notion that if you're, the closer you are to your child, the more open a relationship that you have with them, the more, the less maybe they'll push back and they'll be, they'll, they won't buck the system or they won't, you know, stray outside the lines where maybe they do, if you are, do have kind of your thumb on them. Do you think there was any of that coming into play for her? She was like, let me keep her close. Let me treat her like more of a peer. And yeah, I mean, when we read in those adoption papers, she characterized her mom as unhappy and overbearing. So yeah, I think she aligned herself with me so that I did feel comfortable telling her anything, being super truthful, just full transparency always. Uh, But again, she had the benefit also of all of these, this religious dogmatic undercurrent of me being scared that I would be punished by someone far bigger than her if I did something wrong. So... Uh, It was all just fear-based in that regard, and that was keeping me from doing anything that would upset her, not because it would upset her, but because it would upset God. Um, And as we will find out, that works for a while until (laughs) it doesn't. Uh, But yes, very close close relationship with my mom in middle school and high school. And I think it's so funny that you guys were— you can tell in those letters that we write after a meeting that it's much less like pulling fucking teeth to get you guys to write me back because we are we have equalized. We're all going through kind of the same thing. I think what we haven't talked about yet, too, is that Kendall and I very much so maybe chose different paths a lot of times because we did not want to be pigeonholed into being the twins. Our parents put us in separate elementary school classes all throughout elementary school. They requested it that we would not be together in class. And then I think we were um, very wanted to make sure that we were not known as, we wanted to be known as separate entities. She wanted to be known as separate entities. I would have loved to be the twins and not to be Julian's sister. (laughs) Um. That is so interesting. So, so you were, so Julianne was uh, determined to not be pigeonholed as the twins. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of stories of being henceforth referred to as Julianne's sister. Uh, did people in middle school and high school know that you were twins? Or did they think that you were just sisters? I think they must have known that we were twins, but it definitely wasn't. They did not refer to us as the twins. Um, yeah, I think I, I've, I always felt like the the loser, <laughs> the loser younger sister that she wanted nothing to do with. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I would have loved to have. Um, I mean, I say that I would have loved to have like gotten to hang out with her, but I was not comfortable with the the stuff that her and her friends did. So I think it was just like. I don't know. Maybe that's, it was, it was 
Definitely super tough. I think I, I think because, um, we were like built in best friends for the first part of our lives. And then like, she started wanting (laughs) nothing to do with me. And I was like, well, my sister doesn't want anything to do with me. And, uh, I don't know how to make friends because she's been my friend this whole time. So, um, yeah, I think that was definitely, uh, part of my, my junior high, I was fairly miserable. (laughs) Yeah. Are you still, if you search deep within yourself or if you had to talk about it in therapy or what have you, are you still angry about that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I, I wanted to talk to you guys about it on this podcast because, um, as I have mentioned earlier, I have a very hard time I'm conflict. I'm not conflict averse until it comes to you guys. Um, but I'm in no way like trying to make you guys feel bad or anything. And I'm, it's really nice that we get to do this now. Um, and I think it's very natural for like Julianne to be like, well, she's, I was, I was a weird kid, man. (laughs) Like, I think it's like very normal that she was like, Ooh, (laughs) maybe I don't want to (laughs) be, um, but yeah, it. I do think that that was a factor. Do you feel like residually mad or still like pretty poignantly mad? Um, definitely. I'm not like actively mad. I'm like, it's okay. definitely like residual stuff because it's, it's just stuff we've never talked about. So it's nice to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to go deeper on it next episode. Um, but I want to end this episode with, so I'm in middle school. I'm already angsty as fuck. We had the angst thing down. Love Sometimes me Sometimes we angst. still can. <laughs> I thought Boulevard of Broken Dreams was like my anthem. Oh, yeah. I mean, thank God we were growing up with Good Charlotte, Some 41, All American Rejects, Blink-182. Like that was perfect, perfect, perfect soundtrack. Couldn't have asked for better. But at this time, and I'm actually just now, I swear to God, I think that the self-harm correlated with this moment. Like maybe a couple days later, I did it for the first time. But me and my mom were riding in the car. She's probably taking me to or from school because the bus was miserable for me. And she hands me an article. I'm 13. About artificial insemination. And it's, you know, a fairly short article, and I read it, and I (laughs) look at her after I'm finished, and she said, so what do you think? And I was like, "Uh, super interesting, Mom. I don't know. This is really random. And she went on to explain to me for the first time, three years after my dad died, that that is what she did. And then my dad was not my biological father, and that we had been conceived via sperm donor. I don't think Kendall and I have ever really sat down and considered the weight of that because it didn't happen for us really until right now. We've never, it's never been an aha moment like, oh, she thought her dad was someone that he wasn't until I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah, I don't know what it felt like. I'm like getting really teared up thinking about it right now. Um, And again, I really think that uh, 
I probably self-harmed for the first time like days later. And I think that at the time, I mean, my mom says that she told me and we came home and I said, I'm going to go upstairs. And I came down the next morning and she asked me how I was feeling. And I said, pretty good, considering that I just found out that my dad wasn't my real dad. Um, But I think it felt like just like way too much, Mm -hmm. way too much, too much, too much data, too much information. Dad passing away, new school, bad experience in the new school. And then you're telling me this. And it almost feels like, like I went through all of that for no fucking reason. Uh, And she said that's what he wanted. She said that he didn't want, he'd obviously had a bad experience with his own biological father. And we had grown so close that it would have just broken his heart if I had known that we did not share DNA. And that like will come up a lot later, but makes me like really sad that Mm -hmm. he thought that that would change my opinion of him at all. Um, But that start, it's so perfect that that starts us on the second half of this journey that we're taking on the podcast, because that's when I found out. You guys already knew. We don't remember talking about it ever, which is so crazy. Um, But this, that's when I, I don't remember feeling intense curiosity at the time, I can't remember if we talked about it on this one or the podcast with Molly, but I I felt as though it would be an affront to Lee Jump, my father, to even consider this to be like a valuable or meaningful piece of information. I was like, well, he didn't raise me, don't know who he is. My mom told me I'd never know who he was because he applied totally anonymously at the cryobank. And I just didn't want to, uh, I couldn't handle giving it any more uh, weight because I didn't want to dishonor him. So to wrap it up, I think we're going to do something fun that people have been asking for. (laughs) Uh, We're going to, on air, (laughs) take a test to see how identical or not any of us are. <laughs> and I think that this is the perfect, while you get that all set up, we'll sort of talk about how this came to to be. So we we mentioned it very briefly in our first episode, but we do have a partnership with a really cool family-owned company out of Nebraska called My Forever DNA. And I had reached out to them before we even started the podcast, and we decided to do a partnership in a little bit different way than I think you would normally consider it. So what we've done is we're partnering with them to help you and to, to kind of try to help find these people that, that we want to tell their stories in later episodes. So on my forever DNA's website, there is a submission form for Luke, who is your father. And that is for people that have already taken DNA tests have something that's come out of it, some crazy story to submit those stories. For us on the Luke, who is your father website, there is a submission form, which this is so exciting. This will be so cool. It's for people that have not taken a DNA test that think that the result of one might culminate in a story or in a revelation, a discovery clarification on something. And then we will be going through those submissions on a to-be-determined basis frequency to come through these stories and pick out 
a, I don't want to call it a winner, but great candidate. They pick out a candidate for my forever DNA to supply the testing for, obviously get the results. And then if it comes, anything comes of it, it's someone that we would like to explore having them on the podcast, helping them with, you know, follow up on this discovery, whatever it is. So my forever DNA has been kind enough to send us our twin, is it called a twin zygosity test? Zygosity, we think. And just, yeah, it's a twin zygosity DNA test kit. And this is meant for people to test whether or not they're identical because there are a lot of questions for me and Julian. And we also want to see just how identically similar we are to little Miss Kendalloni over here, but you can do a paternity test, a maternity test, sibling test, grandparent test, aunt, uncle test, or other, which is what we're doing. So we're going to go do this little swabby swab. We'll go off the air for this on the pod, but if you want to watch us do this, we'll keep it in the YouTube video. So we will be right back. We've done it. We've done our DNA tests. Thank you so much, My Forever DNA. I'm so excited to get these back. We now promise. taking wagers, <laughs> now taking bets. Place your bets. We, Kendall, what do you think? You're the outside party. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> um, I honestly, I really don't think you guys are, but I don't know if that is. Uh, because I don't want you to be, because <laughs> then I'll feel left out even more. Because <laughs> I've always felt like my face is like a mixture of your faces. Because like Ricky, Ricky, you have you guys don't have the same nose. You guys have different noses. Um, and I can very much tell you guys apart, and I have a hard time with people. Do you think we're identical, you and me? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That's going to be the the grand twist is I'm going to be the only one who's identical to myself. All right, so let's do one final, make your declaration, all three of us. Ricky, what is it going to say? I don't want to be wrong. Um, I think it's going to say we're identical. I have such a hard time believing because it phases in and out so much. Like, you can hold up pictures of us when we were little, and it's crazy. And then at points in our adulthood, we look a lot alike. So it seems to me so environmental that I think that's why I'm sold on the idea. Because I don't know how we could share so many similarities and right. not be. And I also, oh, if we are, I just want scientists to have a field day. I don't have like a, I think that, Kendall, you think that I do. I don't have like a real preference for it one way or another. Like, I think I did when we were younger, obviously, um, but I don't have a real preference for it now. I would just have a really hard time believing that we're not. So I'm placing my bet that we are. Okay. Ricky says yes. Kendall? I say no. Um, But I do wonder if, if you guys 
or not, if that will make Kathleen feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can make her feel even better. And what, what do you think, Joel? What about you? I think I am going to say... I'm going to say yes. <laughs> she looks the, so upset. <laughs> the one thing that I'm thinking about is because Kendall turned and flipped in the stomach. I'm wondering if we really were just in the same little, because identical would mean we were in the same sack, right? Yeah. And then it split apart at one point. Oh, I don't know then. I'll say, I'll say yes, just okay. for to make my decision. So we got two yeses and a no. All right. Let's see. Well, you guys have our word. We are going to open these results live on air when we get them back. We are not going to look at them beforehand. 100%. Super excited to see what it says. And then next week, um, this is really our last episode where that we have where it's more, more of a philosophical conversation between all of us. We'll be kind of addressing the religious trauma that we've alluded to. Um, having more conversations about why our complex family dynamic uh, strengthened our feelings of maybe guilt or complicated our relationships with human beings in general, high school experiences, and then obviously that um, kind of bleeding into uh, Ken getting super, super sick. So, so we'll get into that. In the meantime, we are signing off. So after today's episode, we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week, take things in stride and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much to Scribe Media for production and to Herzo for original music. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.